I'm Dean and I'm an alcoholic. Um, Marsha talks about eight months ago, eight months ago, let's start with the primer. Eight months ago, I was in a hospital bed uh, dying. And that seems a little fantastical to say, and I'll never get over saying that, but it, it's true. Uh, she saw me at my worst and I'm getting to be, I'll never be at my best and that's because of drinking. Uh, but I'm going to get as close as I can. So, <clears throat> you know, I thought about this, talking about this, and I thought, you know, I don't want to plan for it. And so what do I say about not planning for it? And so then I found myself planning for saying what I'm going to say about not planning to talk about it, right? So that's enough. Like uh, my nose started to bleed and then I had to stop. Um, so most of what I'm going to say is about medically what drinking too much caused me uh, i'll tell you a little bit about my history there's a, a lot that i could i could say but uh, the most important part is medically i think um so uh let's get into it some of it might be graphic by the way and so i warn you ahead of time if it's a little too graphic for you i'm sorry uh but i think it's important that somebody uh, tells that I tell actually I think it's important to me that I tell you and be completely honest with you about what happened to me medically because I drank too much right we have to understand that all of this happened because I drank too much so background <clears throat> I grew up in a in a rural town Ohio and I grew up in what some people would say probably was poor uh, my father was the local bus mechanic. My mom was the lunch lady, right, at the, at the high school and, and uh, the elementary school. So I didn't get away with much. I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't get in trouble. I did, had okay grades in elementary and stuff. And um, then I found my niche, uh, you know, when I lived at home with my parents, at, at one point in the 80s, we didn't have water. We didn't have water. And I know that's, again, that sounds weird, but we didn't have water. We went and got water in jugs and I warmed it up on the stove to wash off to go to school. <clears throat> so it's not like I grew up in poverty, but at the same time, I didn't grow up in the riches either. Uh, I found my niche in music. I was in band, I was in the choir, uh, I was the lead in all our musicals in high school. That was all great. It was all good. I didn't have horrible, I didn't have a horrible growing up. Now, that said, in high school, I started drinking. It's, uh, that's when it all began, I guess, uh, you know what you want to say. I've had people ask throughout this process, when do you think it started? When do you think you started drinking so much? I don't know. I have no idea. I just know that it became worse. And I know that I drank more than other people drank. That's all there is to it. Uh, so I really can't pinpoint a time, but start in high school and uh, I would always be the guy. And it was a joke. Then I was the guy who drank more than everybody else. You know, see who can beat Dean, right? See who can drink more than Dean. Uh, well, <clears throat> it's not so much of a joke anymore, right? So uh, after high school, I guess I start on my, the irony of my life. I went into law enforcement. I wanted to be a cop. 
I wanted to enforce laws. And so I went to a, a student academy, uh, academy for law enforcement. You only have to have a two-year degree if you want one in Ohio. And if you don't, you can just go to, academy, to an academy. I went to a two-year degree school with an academy. And you're going to hear this throughout, if you haven't heard it already, with other people that top of their class right they were the best they did everything and they got the best jobs and they were always at their their best the best game and then this happened well uh, my story is not a lot different i'm not unique uh i will i didn't i did okay in high school but i excelled at college i excelled in the the academy i excelled then all my credits transferred to uh, a four-year school i got a bachelor degree in criminal justice <clears throat> Excuse me. I went to school uh, and worked uh, part time as a sheriff's deputy in Ohio. And then again, irony begins after I graduated from the four year uh, school with my bachelor degree in criminal justice, I became a an undercover liquor agent. Yes, yes, I said that. Be careful not to uh, mistake that, I said that I was a liquor agent for the state of Ohio. So I was the guy to go undercover in bars and any and enforce any laws actually that were broken where alcohol was sold. Uh, so anywhere from illegal sales under a, under age uh, drinking to prostitution, gambling, all of that stuff. I did it undercover and it was great for a short period of time. It was fun but not the lifestyle I wanted to lead. Uh, I wanted to go to law school. So I transferred to a similar job, but for taxation, Ohio. So I was a tax agent for undercover. Uh, again, so when I worked for liquor enforcement, it was kind of the ATF state arm and when I worked for taxation enforcement, it was the IRS the state arm of that, right? Um, so I did that and went to law school. Again, top of my class, right? Graduated in the top 10%. It was great. Uh, everything was going well. Got a great job. Um, was doing great. All of the while, by the way, I was drinking. I didn't stop drinking. I didn't take breaks. But I didn't drink. I didn't feel like I drank too much, never felt like I drank too much, but I never stopped either. I would always drink and got married. My, my ex-wife now and I would drink together all the time. Everybody drank. That's what you did. I uh, found myself drinking every night at one point. I don't know when that happened. I don't know when that changed, but I did. Found myself drinking every night at one of the top law firms in Ohio, <clears throat> would still drink every night. I was okay, I was functioning, right? I was that guy, I was the functioning, uh, the functioning alcoholic, quote, and uh, would go to work, do my thing, but every night I would drink. Then I would drink a little bit more every night and a little bit more and uh, get, ended up getting divorced. Now, I would like to think that it had something to do with drinking, but I can't pinpoint that. I don't think it did. 
we didn't get along. There are a lot of reasons for divorce, got divorced. And then I was alone, right? So I'm alone with a great job, making a bunch of money. What did I do? I drank and I uh, didn't have anybody to, to re, you know, to report to except work. And I could do that. I could do that hungover, no problem. A little bit of time, uh, you know, to recover in the morning. I was fine. Go to work. I'd be great. So <clears throat> kept drinking alone. Uh, had a great job where I would travel. And I would travel to where would I stay in hotels, right? Stay in hotels and wanted to drink. Had some good friends who moved all over the country. And I would, uh, I had some dates, right? I had some women that I would date at times. And I would go, I remember one specific that I would go and, and meet occasionally, fly to their city to see them, spend time with them. Then I would lie and say I was going back early to Cleveland to go back to the hotel to drink. I don't know why. But I wouldn't. I would. I would lie to say I was going home. I wasn't. But I would just want to drink. Just go back to the hotel to drink by myself. Didn't make sense to me at the time, but I still did it. <clears throat> Again, it didn't affect my employment to the extent that you. You know what? Here's here's what happened. It didn't affect my employment. It affected my drinking. So my employment affected my drinking. It got in the way of how much I wanted to drink. So I knew I had to go to work. So gosh, I had to stop drinking so that I could go to work as opposed to continuing to drink, which is what I wanted to do. That happened for a few years. Uh, then I lost my father in uh, 2018. By that time, I think I was, I was drinking to the alcoholic extent. So there's this huge debate, of course, about whether you, whether alcoholism is a choice or a disease. Uh, from living through it, my personal belief is that it's both. It starts out as a choice, of course. Somewhere, I don't know where, nobody knows where, somewhere along the line, it becomes a disease. There's no doubt about it. You, you don't have control. <clears throat> I think by the time my father died, I didn't have control. Not at all. I drank before my father's funeral. I drank going to visit my father in uh, the nursing home before he died and, uh, you know, drank after. I just continued to drink and drink more. And still, even when I went out with my friends, I was always that guy. Who's going to beat Dean? Who's going to drink more than Dean, right? Who's going to be, beat Dean to get the next round? I was always that guy. It was always funny. Well, it, yeah, it became not so funny. I, I drank too much, period. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, all right, by this time, I was alone. I was living alone. Uh, I made really good money, and uh, I didn't care. All I wanted to do was drink. I could work from home occasionally, and I did. And by the time COVID really hit, I was already out of control. I was an alcoholic. I was dating someone that I would also lie to. By this time, 
you know, she had uh, children and I would lie to not go spend time with their family, with what was considered my family at the time to drink. I had no other reason not to. I would say I would feel sick, which I did. That's partly true. I felt sick, but it's because I was drinking and I just wanted to drink, just wanted to drink alone. <clears throat> so this is where the medical part starts. So along the way, occasionally I would feel sick, of course. And I would get so sick that I would, I would throw up uh, from time to time and throw up, but then drink again because drinking helped make that go away. And it's disgusting. It's disgusting to admit this, all of this to you, but it's true. And I would drink more, it would go away, get sick again, drink more, would go away. Started doing that 24 seven, all the time. Just a matter of waking up. When I woke up, mm, didn't want to really have withdrawal. So I would drink just enough. I had, it, I had it down to a schedule. I would drink just enough so that I wouldn't have withdrawal, but not be drunk. Right. Uh, and so when I would go visit my girlfriend at the time, it was a, a five years by that time, I would make sure that I drank beforehand so that I wouldn't be sweating or shaking to go see her or they wouldn't notice that I was having withdrawal symptoms of drink. That got worse and continued to get worse. And uh, the physical signs became uh, very clear. I would sweat all the time, shake all the time. There was no hiding it at this point. I would lie to everybody about it and just say, no, it's medication. Because by, by this time I was diagnosed with um, AFib, which is a heart condition. And I would say, well, no, it's, you know, my, my medications are causing this. My medications cause me to sweat like this and shake like this. It was a complete lie. It's just a lie to cover up drinking. Bottom line. Well, then one night, uh, I started to feel pain. So along this way, I would feel pain every now and then in my, in my abdomen. I would feel from side to side. I wouldn't know. Sometimes I thought, oh my gosh, I'm killing my liver. My liver hurts. It's my, my right side. It's sore. my liver hurts. Uh, it'll go away. Right. It'll go away. And it did went away. Sometimes I would drink more to make it go away. And it did. It worked. Sometimes it was my left side. I didn't know, whatever. I knew it was probably from drinking. Uh, I also had some bowel movements that weren't going very well. I knew it was probably from drinking. I knew that I probably had a problem. I looked into AA at the time, wasn't really serious about it. Looked into some other things that might help me, wasn't really serious about it. Didn't follow through, kept drinking. <clears throat> so then finally, the one night, I felt a really bad pain in my left hand, left side, left abdomen. And I knew that it was different. There was something more. There was something, there was something bad going on. 
you could just tell, right? You know your body well enough that uh, you've had these pains before. It'll go away. Not this one. I knew there was something wrong. So I went and I checked myself into the emergency room. I was puking by this point. I could barely walk uh, straight. And I told them when I checked in, I, I'm going to need a bag and I'm going to need a, a wheelchair because uh, I'm in trouble. So they took me back. They did x-rays all the while. I'm throwing up, by the way, and I'm shitting myself in the wheelchair. Okay. And all of this, why? Because I drank too much. Drinking. It's mortifying. It's disgusting. And I'm going to tell you worse. It's disgusting. It's all from drinking. <clears throat> so they take me back. They do the x-ray. Sorry to keep clearing my throat. I'm a little dry. Um, so they do the x-rays, they do the blood tests, uh, takes forever. And it comes back. I have pancreatitis. I don't have, as far as they know, pancreatic, pancreatic cancer, but I have pancreatitis, which is bad enough. And it hurt. And the only thing to do with pancreatitis is that they fill your body full of fluids and full of nutrients the best that they can and hope that your pancreas recovers is really all they can do. At the time I was, then I started puking more while I was in the hospital and, uh, and shitting more and it was all black. And you might imagine what that means. And I knew what that meant. I had looked it up before I'd looked up all my bowel movements and how I felt and things. And Google can tell you a lot of stuff and you can ignore it like I did. And I knew it was probably related to drinking. And they said, you have pancreatitis and it's alcoholic related uh, induced pancreatitis. So we're going to do what we can to fix that. And they did. And I was there for weeks while I was puking and shitting. And in fact, I was, I was, uh, I had diarrhea so bad that they had to shove a balloon up my butt to, uh, that had a hole in it, right? Where you could, you could have diarrhea and it went through that hole as opposed to anywhere else as opposed to in the bed where it had to be cleaned up and was mortifying and disgusting and uh but the problem with that was if your diarrhea had any substance to it all it would shoot that out and it was all over the bed anyway okay all of this wouldn't happen if i hadn't drank too much so I became close with the nurse, right? You became close with these people. You spend so much time there. And this nurse and I goofed around a lot, you know, joked and things. And she told me one time, she stopped me and she said, Dean, she said, you are, you're sicker than you think you are. And I played it off, right? I acted like that. Oh, I'm fine. You know, everything's okay. You know, I do this all the time. All right, which is bad enough, right? Admitting that I do this all the time, but do it all the time. It'll be fine. Well, it wasn't fine. She was right. They fixed the pancreatitis, uh, but I was in the hospital bit for so long, and I had been drinking for so long, not doing anything physically for so long, that when I got out of the hospital bed, I couldn't, I really couldn't walk. I really couldn't walk well at all. Uh, the deconditioning and the, uh, the, um, just the muscle weakness I really couldn't get a hold of myself. So they, they brought me a walker. I used a walker 
to try and stand up the best that I could. This is just after pancreatitis, by the way, that they're about to release me. And they're like, we can't release you like this. You can't go home like this. We have to do something else. <clears throat> they determined that I wasn't strong enough to go to regular rehab. So they determined that I needed to go to a nursing home because <clears throat> regular rehab, physical rehab was going to be too intense for my affibulation caused by alcohol, uh, for my uh, muscles that were weak because of being in the hospital, pancreatitis, because of alcohol atrophy, muscle atrophy. So I went to a nursing home where they did physical therapy. If you know anything about nursing homes, they do physical therapy once a day for about a half an hour, if you're lucky. I did a lot on my own to try and be able to walk because I was disgusted. I was disgusted with myself. Well, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a nursing, what? I'm in a nursing home? Yeah, because I drank too much. So did the best I could there. And by the way, that's a whole book by itself, what you what you learn and discover in a nursing home uh, living there for a period of time. I was there for three weeks. I was able to walk. They cleared me to walk with a, with a walker. I was walking without one, but not very well. Cleared me to walk with a walker, and I was let go. I was uh, to come home. Came home with my walker. Walked inside. I was at this point, you and you're gonna tell throughout this conversation that we're having that I'm I'm pissed at times, and I am pissed, I'm pissed at myself that I did this because I caused this from drinking too much. So I get home, I I live alone. Now I'm with a walker and I have to you know, get around and with a walker, I can't really walk very well. So I, you, you know, I, I did what they call wall walking. So I hold on to the wall to be able to walk to where I need to go, which is to the bathroom and back to get my drink and then sit back down and drink some more. Five days after released from a nursing home, after drinking, by the way, I started drinking right away. I couldn't get, I couldn't get to the local, the uh, local carryout, which was uh, the gas station, cheap vodka. I couldn't get there easily. So I used an old contractor that uh, I paid him under the table before to work at my house. I asked him to pick me up vodka, cheap vodka from the local store. And he did it. And he kept doing it. Five days after I was released from the nursing home with a walker, I fell in my house, in my kitchen on a tile floor. Now, mind you, I walked from my bedroom to my kitchen, uh, wall walking, of course, to make myself a drink, to get orange juice and to put it in vodka and make myself a screwdriver to watch TV. Because I woke up, woke up in the middle of the night and I was bored. Need a drink, didn't want to have withdrawal. So I started a drink <clears throat> and I was making myself a screwdriver and I fell on my kitchen tile floor. 
all what because I was drinking, by the way. And um, I thought, oh, for God's sakes, are you kidding me? I just fell in orange juice because I dropped the orange juice. Orange juice is everywhere. I fell. Are you kidding? So I go to stand up and I couldn't, I couldn't stand up. I had so much pain on my, my left leg. I'm like, I, I'm thinking to myself, what the, I just fell. Like, I knew I didn't hit my head. I knew I just fell, but it was so much pain. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, I must have, I pulled something. I got to be able to stand up. I tried several times to stand up. I couldn't stand. Couldn't, I couldn't wait there. I thought something's really wrong. Something is really, really wrong. I tried, I tried lifting myself up on my countertops. I didn't have the strength to do that. After being released from a nursing home, after having atrophy and deconditioning from being in the hospital, from pancreatitis, from drinking too much, I didn't have the strength to lift myself up. So I had to improvise. I had to find some way to go. Now, I was released from the nursing home. The physical therapist told me, one of the last things she told me was never leave, never go anywhere in your house even without your phone. I did. My phone was in my bed. I left it. I knew, I knew where I left it. I'd walk down the hallway and into my kitchen without my phone. I laid on my kitchen floor thinking, what the fuck am I going to do? What? It's three o'clock in the morning. I've got orange juice all over the floor. I've got vodka like laying out. Who am I going to call? What am I going to do? I don't have a phone. What am I going to do? I felt like I laid there for an hour. So I'm like, all right. So I tried a couple more times to stand up. I just couldn't stand. There was just no way. It was so painful. I wanted to pass out. So I found a way improvising. I would, I would lift my ass up off the floor with my arms behind me and scoot a little bit. My good leg, I would push up and I would scoot forward just a little bit. I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. And it's so painful. I'm thinking, I got to go, I got to scoot all the way to my bedroom to get a phone. I'm like, how am I going to do this? But I didn't have a choice, right? So I start scooting. I, I, I scoot through this spilled orange juice to my hallway. And I look at this short hallway to my bedroom, which it's not a big house. It's a small house. But I'm thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make it that far. All the while, because I drank too much. So I keep scooting inches at a time. So painful. I thought I was going to pass out. I can't tell you how many times I laid back at one point. I'm not too proud to tell you at one point I laid back and I would lay down occasionally because just to catch my breath. And I laid in the hallway and I knew that my front door was open and my screen door was open. It was a, it was September and it was warm out. And my neighbors at the time were in a band and they would often practice in the middle of the night and with their screens open I yelled his name, laying on the floor in my hallway, yelled out for him, hoping that he would hear me, that his windows were open, he would hear me. Nobody came. I mean, they didn't hear me. I didn't. I mean, I literally, I didn't know what I was going to do. Wait until somebody didn't hear from me and then check on me, 
something. I don't know. So I was bound determined to make it to the bedroom to get my phone. So I continued to scoot, literally scooting down the hallway in so much pain. Uh, at one point, I lost my shoe scooting down the hallway. My shoe fell off and I'm scooting. I got momentum and I'm like, oh, there's my shoe. But I kept scooting because I had momentum. So I made it to the bedroom. My phone was on the other side of the bed. I couldn't get up on my bed to get my phone. So it's on a fitted sheet. So I am thinking the only way I can get it is to pull my fitted sheet the best that I can slowly, because if I pull it too fast, it's going to fly the phone all over the room. Fitted sheet's going to come off, fly the phone all. I don't know where it's going to go. How am I going to get that? I can't tell you. I can't describe the pain. So I do. I pull the fitted sheet. I, I pull it. The phone starts to come. The fitted sheet lets go. It starts coming. First thing I thought is it's not going to have charge. It's going to be a dead phone and it's going to be useless. It had charge. I laid back. I realized that I'm not going to die right there. Called 911 and they came and got me. And I went to the hospital with a broken leg hip. So it was the femoral neck. It was the, the neck that connects your ball joint to your femur. I broke it off. Broke. Because I drank too much. And so once they determined that, you know, I'm laying there. Uh, it was weird. They all seemed to leave the room. I'm laying there uh, naked, covered up uh, with a blanket and, and waiting to go to surgery. And they take me to surgery and the, the surgeon actually tells me, she's like, we have to know where that break is. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to pull your leg and hold you so that we can see where that break is when we take the x-ray. I'm like, what? I'm sorry. What? Yeah. They had to pull my leg down while somebody held my shoulders, pull my leg down to show the gap where that was to take the x-ray so that where they knew where to put the rod in my leg and the pin through my femur and a pin holding that rod in place at my knee. Because I drank too much. So they did it. They did surgery. Um, after that surgery, I had to go to rehabilitation again, physical therapy again. This was inpatient. All the while, by the way, first time that I went for pancreatitis, they gave me, they knew that I was drinking and they gave me uh, anti-withdrawal medications. I don't remember being in any withdrawal in the hospital for that or this or my broken hip. I don't remember withdrawal at all. So whatever they gave me, I still don't know, but whatever they gave me worked. Uh, so they fixed that. I go into intensive uh, rehab. And by the way, they gave me the sheet of items that you brought with you to the ER, right? And I found this humorous. In my sheet of items, it had two things. It had a cell phone, and then it had one shoe because my other one I left in my house somewhere I don't I, it didn't matter to me at the time uh so <clears throat> I went to inpatient uh intensive physical therapy which is where I should have been after the first time I was in the hospital for pancreatitis but I wasn't able to do that because I did nothing but drink 
for uh, the year before that. All right, so I'm in inpatient physical therapy there. That's when I discovered, by the way, the Golden Girls, the TV show, which I will love for the rest of my life. The Golden Girls, I always tell people, I woke up and went to sleep with those girls every day. They're my girlfriends. That, that's what made me through. I watched them in the middle of the night because, I mean, there's nothing on, right? And, and I'm awake, I'm in the hospital. And I, I don't know about you guys. I'm sure you know people that, or you've been. Uh, I didn't sleep in a hospital very well. It's the only thing on. So I watched them over and over. Yes, Golden Girls. Um, so in, in fact, one night in intensive rehab, the nurses gathered outside my room and they started the theme song. They sang the theme song outside my room because they knew that I watched it, Renee. <clears throat> so I'm in intensive rehab for three weeks. I'm still not weight-bearing as I should be, uh, some kind of drugs. I had constipation because of oxycodone, which was awful, horrible, all because of drinking, by the way. Was released there with a wheelchair. So now I have a walker from the first time I was in the hospital, and now I graduated to a wheelchair. I'm a wheelchair uh, going home. I have the best friends in the world. They, they knew what was going on. I told one friend about it and they built me a ramp to get up into my house. Uh, so I, I had that and it came back and what do you think I did? First thing I did when I got home in a wheelchair, I started drinking in a wheelchair. I got my contractor to bring me alcohol, bring me the cheap gas station vodka, and then I could get delivered from any grocery store. Instacart is an amazing thing and a horrible thing because they brought me whatever I wanted to mix with it, and I had everything I needed. Wheelchair, I would wheel around and get um, what I wanted to drink, I would, I would do what they told me I should do for physical therapy to walk, but not very much, if anything at all. I would still, if I could, I would hobble around, hobble to the bathroom and back, but just to make a drink and sit back down and start drinking again. By that time, I had urinals that I had taken from my hospital stays. So if I didn't want to get up from the couch, I just went to the bathroom there. Yeah, it's awful. It's disgusting. And if I made it up, I would then dump the urinal and start again. So all I did was drink. Only about a month after that, and I tried, I thought to myself, what are you doing? Like, it didn't make any sense, right? I'm a sensical guy. I'm a logical guy. It didn't make any sense what I was doing, but I still did it. After that, that I hobbled to the bathroom, hobbled back, made my drink. And it was, when I say hobbling, it was, I would hold on to something sturdy, like my refrigerator, and I would aim my focus at the counter and take a few steps so that I could lunge myself at the counter so that I could hold myself up to make my drink. 
and then hold on to the counter to make it to uh, where I was going to sit down to drink. And I did that over and over and over. Finally, the one time I did that, I fell again. I missed my couch. I missed it. I was so, I was drunk and not sturdy. I wasn't doing my exercise. It was weak. It was just awful. It was a disgusting mess. I fell again. I couldn't get onto the couch. I couldn't even pull myself on the couch. I sat on the floor with my spilled drink all over me with whatever beside me was so disgusting and gross. And for that brief moment, I really did, and this seems, again, it seems so fantastic for me to say this, but it's the truth. For that brief moment, I did feel like I knew why people commit suicide. I never, I would never do it. And you may know people that have. I know people that know people that have. For that brief moment, I knew why. I had nothing. Complete despair. If I got up on that couch, I was going to do it again. I was going to keep drinking. And that was going to happen the next day. It was going to happen the next day. And on and on and on until I died. So I guess that moment, I knew that I needed help. So I called 911. And they came and got me. And I, I tried to joke with the... Uh, boy, I'm running long on time. I'm sorry. I tried to joke with the uh, dispatcher and I said, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but I've fallen and I can't get up. Uh, she didn't think it was funny. I laughed. She didn't think it was funny at all. And uh, the squad came and got me and I went in. The doctors were not happy with me at all. They saw my chart. They knew what was happening. Uh, they said, had you had another drink that night, you would not be with us. We're going to try to save you but we don't know that we can. You need to be prepared for that because we don't know that we can save you. I was shocked, right? Like, I didn't feel sick. I just knew that I drank too much. I knew that that would have bad things, that things were bad happening physically to me, but I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah, it was that bad. Uh, so they did what they could. The hospital that I, I always went to, they weren't a transplant hospital. They were a trauma hospital. And they said, we don't do transplants here. You need a transplant. You need a, a liver transplant. And my kidneys were failing at the time also. The whole renal system fails if one completely fails. And so they had to transfer me to another hospital. This is where there is a huge debate in our nation about the six-month rule. You have to be sober for six months normally to get a liver transplant. And there's scientific reason behind that, that your liver could recover. Um, but there's the more important reason is social reason that they trust you that you're not going to ruin the next liver, period. Uh, the hospital I was transferred to that does transplants, they stick to the six-month rule, period. And when I came in, they said, you probably have a month to live with how your numbers are going. We're going to see if we can find somewhere else for you. And they did. They found another place for me. It took some time, and they kept me alive, kept me as comfortable as they could. But 
I was dying. I was going to die if I didn't move, if I didn't go somewhere else. <clears throat> in fact, I did a, a quick calculation by the time that they found a place for me to go. But, and from the time that I came in, I said to him, I said to the doctor, I said, doctor, are you telling me that I have eight days to live? Because I did the calculation from when I came in to when you're telling me that now I have a place to go. You telling me I have eight days to live? And he looked at me straight and he said, yes or less. What do you do with that? What do you do with being told that you have eight days or less to live? Now, sure, you could play it off like I have in the past and said, no, he's lying. Is that, that's not true. This is a doctor telling you this, though. So what? I, I think I better call my mother, right? Like, what do you do with that? So I was transferred to a hospital uh, that takes every individual separately, differently. And again, this is the debate in, the, in our country about um, whether the six-month rule is right or not, because there are people spending thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to different hospitals because they give an exception to the six-month rule. And this hospital did. I was transferred there. <clears throat> and it was like an interview process for the rest of my life, literally like an interview process for the rest of my life talking about my drinking, talking about my sobriety. And the social worker told me, you have to get into AA. It's one of the first things you have to do to show them that you're serious, that you're committed to it. Because otherwise I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have. I would have kept drinking. Like, okay. At this point, I knew that I wanted to live. There was a will to survive and I don't know where it came from, truly. But I knew I wanted to live. so whatever it takes. Okay. I knew I wasn't, I didn't like the traditional AA. I didn't like the religious part of it. So I found a secular place that was near Cleveland uh, that had Zoom meetings, started attending. I liked it and I believed it. Uh, that's when uh, Marsha met me first and other people in my home group met me. I was in a hospital bed waiting for a liver transplant attended it every day every day that i could unless there was something else going on attended every day um i had tubes sticking out of both sides of my neck uh i was yellow as a simpsons character i didn't know it. i didn't realize it i was so i, I was so jaundiced i didn't realize this i saw white the 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 shade white is yellow i would ask my friend is that white or is that yellow he would say, Dean, that's white. Nope. It was yellow to me. It looked yellow to me. That's how, that's how bad it was. I didn't know. I didn't care. That's what drinking did. So I attended every day. Uh, and then I got the exception to the rule, to the six-month rule. It's a long process for that that I won't go into now. But <clears throat> the surgeon came in five hours after I was listed. Uh, and said, we're ready to go, got to go, uh, because I was that sick. They knew I was going to die. And I got a liver transplant. And uh, liver transplant went very well, they said. And all of that, I mean, it's painful. Are you kidding me? I have a scar from east to west. It's called the Chevron scar, if you know anything about it. And it's, I mean, it's huge. It's a big scar across my abdomen. 
they have to cut in there and, and get it done. All because I drank too much. So they replaced the liver. Uh, that's painful. Anybody that tells you there's no big deal, they're lying. It's horrible. Uh, went through that. Doctor told me that uh, one day you'd wake up and you feel much better, almost like it didn't happen. And she was right. Now, all the while, by the way, I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. I had horrible things. I had to have another surgery. They had to open it back up where it was to take clots out because I was clotting during dialysis because my kidneys weren't working and the clots were getting in the way of dialysis. So they had opened back up and uh, the surgeon's terms scoop out the clots to fix that. All the while, I'm in AA every time that I could. <clears throat> um, got the liver transplant. It was okay. Was determined to walk again. Was in rehabilitation. Inpatient again. Finally was able to, to, to walk because I was determined. I Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. They come in. Do you want to? Let's go. You want to get up? No, I don't want to get up. But I have to. I have to. So I get up and walk and do the best that I could. Well, just feet at a time. Uh, it's, it's like AA, literally, one step at a time. So able to walk, walked out. Uh, only a month later in outpatient rehab, they said I needed a kidney transplant. My kidneys weren't recovering like they had hoped that they would with the liver transplant. My kidneys weren't recovering also. Got a kidney uh, scheduled for a kidney transplant. A couple days after I was listed for that, because I was such high risk, I got a kidney transplant also. All because I drank too much. All of this. And I, there's so much I'm leaving out. You can imagine, right? So now I have two huge scars, my abdomen. I can barely walk at the time because of neuropathy, neuropathy caused by critical illness and caused by drinking. That's my worst problem today is just, is the neuropathy is getting around, is pain and balance, all of that, all of this, because I drank too much. So, Decided I was going to live and, and uh, whatever it takes, right? You're going to do it. And here I am, uh, no longer in a wheelchair. I no longer use a walker. I don't use a cane anymore. Day by day, still to this day, I'm in physical therapy. Now back in Cleveland, I had to face what I left in a squad, disgusting mess that I left to face it. Um, while I was in Columbus, I knew I didn't want to face it. I sold my house. I have a new place that I'm going to right now as we speak. I'm in the process of moving. It's all, there's so much psychologically involved in this also. And it's all because I drank too much. I wouldn't be alive today if it weren't for Alcoholics Anonymous. I wouldn't. I had to prove to them that I was committed to sobriety and part most of my proof was Alcoholics Anonymous and I love the group that I'm in uh, I, I became addicted to that uh, being a part of Alcoholics Anonymous and so you are all a part of this community also that 
that has saved my life. I, I wouldn't be here today without all of this. All I can tell you is for a fact, if you drink like I did and you don't find help, you're going to die. One way or the other, you're gonna die. And if you wanna live, uh, you do whatever it takes to live. Then get back on your feet. And then once you are, it's this community that helps me stay where I am and helps me keep going where I am. So thank you. Thank all of you uh, so much more. Imagine, just imagine the things that you think of when you think you're going to die. And then you know you aren't. And you know, in part, Alcoholics Anonymous did that for you. So thank you. With that, I'll pass.